Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, or 16, I'm sorry, Genesis 16. Today we're going to look at this, uh, uh, the right thing the wrong way. And so uh, I think this is uh, important no matter uh, what uh, time of life we may be in, not just back in the Old Testament, not just with Abraham, but many times uh, we know kind of the right thing to do, uh, but going about it the wrong way. And so just kind of think of that for a second. This is kind of the big idea that we find here in Genesis 16. Uh, sometimes you know what the, the right ending should be, but the means in which we go through to get to the right thing at the end is sometimes the wrong way. And, and so we would say the means, right, don't always justify the end. And so if we're doing things underhanded, scheming in order to get to a, a specific result at the end, it's got to also be done the right way. It's not only important where we finish, but it's important how we get to the end. And so, of course, uh, today we're looking at the story of Abraham, um, Sarah, and Hagar. And so uh, I pray God would speak to our hearts and minds as we consider this. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is really the big question or dilemma that Abraham and Sarah find themselves in in Genesis chapter 16. God has promised Abraham that he is going to bless him with the, just innumerable descendants. That he's going to be the father not of one nation, but of many nations. And Abraham and Sarah are getting a little old in their age. I think they would be okay with me saying that about them, right? Because they basically say it about themselves. We're getting kind of to the end of, of our life. We're getting to the point where having children is not, not on the uh, schedule any longer. Or maybe we're way behind schedule, right? And, and so they come to the point where they have this dilemma. We know that God wants Abraham to have descendants. Remember that the promise is to Abraham. The promise was not made to Sarah. Now this is important to understand the chapter Right, Of course, we all know that God intends to bless Abraham with a son through Sarah. We know that. But when God came to Abraham, when God spoke to Abraham, he just said, your descendant, right? your son, one from your body, will be the one through which the entire world may be blessed. And so as they sat around looking at the problem, and the first problem we find in this chapter is this, that we don't have a child yet. We haven't had an heir yet. And we haven't even come close. We, you know, it, we don't have, it's not on the horizon. It hasn't happened. God wants you to have a descendant. And so in this culture in which they live, this is important. In this culture, so that we read this story and we don't think this is far-fetched. This is way out there. The fact is that when a husband and wife 4,500 4, years ago could not have, well, 6,500 years ago, I guess now, when they could not have a child, then a maidservant, a handservant of the wife would become a surrogate for the mother. Make sure you hear that because when Abraham and Sarah get together and Sarah um, suggests this may be the right way to have a descendant, have a son, it's not that far-fetched. In this time period, in fact, if a husband and wife could not have children, then one of the servants of the wife would be a surrogate mother for the family. I'm not, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just telling you this is what, what it's like in this time. 
So when Sarah says to Abraham, and if you don't know, I'll go ahead and tell you. When, a- when Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you take my handservant, my, my maidservant, Hagar, and let her be a surrogate mother for us? That through her, at least you have a descendant. Because God has said he wants to bless you with a descendant. Then Abraham would not have looked and thought, man, this is unheard of. Abraham would have thought, This is what most of the people do in the culture in which we live. The problem is Abraham has been called out of the culture which he lives into a new relationship with God. And I want to tell you that the very first uh, push for women's rights took place all the way back in the Old Testament by God. And so all through Scripture, we see women elevated and held at a very high position. And so when God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a son, he doesn't mean through a surrogate. He means through the wife that he blessed him with. But we haven't had a son yet. Thinking on the theme of faith, I would suggest to you that that faith, living in faith is really living in such a way where you don't have to scheme to try to bring what you know God desires to bring about in your own strength, in your own time, and in your own wisdom. Let's read chapter 16, and then, um, I tell you what, just, David, throw the next one up. As we read, I want you to consider these, these three things. We're about to see a very human mistake take place. Not uncommon in the world in which he lived in, but very human mistake. The the big mistake here is not to have faith and trust in God. Not to understand that God will deliver what God's promised in God's time. And then we see a divine intervention take place in this chapter. And then the last thing I want us to address today is what can we learn from both sides or all sides of this event that takes place as Christians who are trying to live in the world in which we live today. So Genesis 16.1. Abraham's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him. This is the first problem. But she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. How many people remember how Hagar even comes into the picture? Abraham, Sarah, go down to Egypt. Abraham tells Sarah, you're very beautiful. So lie. Don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. She ends up being taken into Pharaoh's house or to the the king of Egypt at that time, into his household to become one of his wives. God blesses her, protects her so that the Pharaoh can't defile her. Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, Why have you lied to me? Now take your wife and all your stuff and all your people and go back where you came from. And and I shared with you then, it was a lack of faith by Abraham when there became a famine in the land. Rather than depending on God to provide for him, he decided in his own intelligence, I'll move my family to Egypt. He leaves Egypt with a handmaiden. And her name is Hagar. Had he never went to Egypt in the first place, had he just had full faith and trust in God, then there never would have been a Hagar for this story to even be written about. When I bring it up, I bring it up because I want you to understand that all of our sin has consequences not only in the present, not only in the now, but many of our decisions that go against the will of God or are made in our own wisdom and own strength follow us throughout life. And this decision to go to Egypt by Abraham without God telling him to move to Egypt, this mistake he made, now we see the consequences of that mistake following him through life. Verse 2 says, 
Sarai said to, to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, when you understand, she's not being uh, faithless. In her mind, God never promised her that she would be the mother of many children. What God promised is that her husband would be the father of many children. And so she comes up with an idea. I, I, I suggest this, that Sarah probably thought she was doing the right thing by going to Abraham and saying, why don't you take Hagar, and through Hagar she'll be a surrogate for us so that you might have descendants. You ever talk to someone when you see them making decisions that you can just see this is not going to end well, and they feel like they're doing the right thing? Sometimes we get clouded when we're in the midst of our circumstances. When we're going through the problems we're going through, sometimes we don't have the clarity to really see many of the decisions we make and the impact they will continue to have. We read this story, we already know what's going to happen, and we see, boy, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Sarai doesn't have... She's not coming to try to defile God. She's not coming to try to be mean or, or even evil-spirited. She's coming to Abraham genuinely, sacrificially. Can you imagine women? Just I'm going to ask you because I don't know. I've never been a wife. Don't plan to be a wife. Uh, so I would just say to you, wives, can you imagine coming to the point in your life where you would go to your husband and say, listen, what you need to do is to take Hagar so that she can be a surrogate mother for us. Th this is not a selfish decision that Sarai's making. I want to tell you, it's not in line with what God desires, but, but before we belittle or berate any of these people in this event, I want to bring you to the point, allow you to think a little bit of what it must have been like for Sarai to want to be a mother, to want to provide an heir for her husband, to look at her age and to look at his age and to say, boy, we're way beyond that time in our life, and so the only way I can see that my husband can become a father is if we have a surrogate mother. Here's what she says. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. Maybe the Lord... Judge between me and you. May the Lord judge between me and you. And Abram replied to Sarai, Here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Verse 7 says that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness. I would just say to you, isn't it something that she didn't go looking for God and yet God sent someone to her? I would submit to you, God works the same way today. Look back in your life, look throughout your life, and what you see is that most of the times where God showed up in your life, where God was really just in a real and, and, and tangible way showed up. 
It wasn't because you went looking for him. It was because he found you right where you were. You can imagine Hagar has fled. She's being mistreated. And all of a sudden the angel of the Lord finds her by a spring in the wilderness. According to verse, verse 7. It says the spring on the way to Shur. He said Hagar slave of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? She replied I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. How many of you like this? All right. So here she is. She's being mistreated. She's a slave. She, she leaves, runs to flee this mistreatment. And when, when God's angel finds her and says, where are you going and where have you come from? And she says, I've left. I've been mistreated. This is the command she gets from God through his messenger. Go back and submit to her. Go back to the situation you're running away from. How many of you have found in your life that many times what God's plan is doesn't quite align with what your desire is? Submit to her authority. Verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I'll greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Does this sound familiar? That promise which Abraham has been given by God, now God gives to Hagar. Now the angel's going to share a little about her son, what he's going to be like. The angel of the Lord said to her, you, will, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. This man's going to go everywhere picking fights. You with me? It won't be able to settle down in one place. It's going to always have this, uh, this heart and a desire to just go and rebel and do and attack and take. And this is the kind of son you're going to have. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. He'll settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. Here's what she said, you are El Roi. El Roi literally means God who sees. For she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. Think about that. Thinking of God, here's what she says, I have seen the God who sees me. Think about that. Every struggle we face, every problem we go through, we serve El Roi. The God who sees us, the God who knows us, the God who understands our thoughts, our concerns, our circumstances, our pains, our hurts, our troubles. Verse 14 says, That is why the well is called Belaha Roi. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son. Notice she follows the command of God. She goes back as a servant and submits to the authority of her master. She gives birth to a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old 
when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds now concerning your word. We know that your words went out. We know that it will accomplish what it's intended to accomplish. We know that it does not return void. I pray that this morning we would not hear a sermon simply that some man has put together, but that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds, and today we would hear from you. Bring clarity and understanding of your word and help us to apply it to our life and help us to take great comfort in the fact that our God is El Roi, the God who sees and knows us and understands what we face. We ask these things in the precious, holy, beautiful, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. So let's just jump kind of right in into the First of the three that I, I want us to talk about, a very human mistake takes place here. Trying to do the, uh, get the right outcome, but doing it the wrong way. The first thing we see is, first, there is a problem. The problem is this. Sarah goes to Abram and says, you know, God promised to give you a son. We don't have one yet. Remember what faith is. Faith is to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith says, even though we don't have a son yet, God's promised to bring us one, and so we know that it'll happen. Faith is the opposite of impatience. Right? If I really trust and have faith in God that whatever He's called or said or, 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 or promised, there's no need for me to grow impatient with God because what God said He'll do, He will do in His time and in His way. God, listen, God does not need your help to bring about the events He wants to take place. The, the God that you serve just spoke everything out of nothing. Right? Look to the stars we talked about last week. When you, when you have trouble, when you're going through problems, and you're concerned about how you're going to get through those, those things, look to the stars. For the God who created the stars is the God who will see you through the circumstances you're facing. The problem's simple. God told you, Abram, you're going to have a son, and you don't yet. So we see the first solution to the first problem. Abram, take my servant Hagar, and through her, maybe I can build a family. Maybe I can build a family. First of all, note, it is not us who builds families. It is God who builds families. The family is not our design. The family is God's design. Here's what we find based on this solution to the problem. Here's what we get into, right? Hagar despises Sarah. Sarah mistreats Hagar. Sarah blames Abraham. And Abraham just throws the towel in. I mean, this is what happens. It's like a daytime television show. You with me? It's like... Days of our lives or something, the Abraham edition. All right? I can't get pregnant by this one, so you have a child with my servant, and now I'm going to mistreat my servant. She's going to hate me. Abraham's going to get frustrated. Sarah, do what you want to with her. For goodness sake. Whose problem or whose sin is this? Who is the one who's wrong in this situation? I would suggest there's plenty of blame to go around in this problem. Who's at fault? Is it Sarah for coming up with the idea in the first place? Is it Abraham who 
went along with it? Maybe both for not trusting God? Is it Hagar's fault because now she looks with contempt on Sarah? Is it Abraham because he threw the towel in and just to do whatever you want to do? Is it Hagar because she ran away? And I would submit to you this morning that the one who bears the brunt of most of this sin, whose sin is worst, is Abraham's. At this point, God called Abraham to be the leader of his family, to lead his family. It is Abraham who God spoke to, right? Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. It is God who spoke directly to Abraham. And yet Abraham goes along with the plan. And I would just suggest nobody made him do it. Amen? It reminds me of the first sin. Where Adam and Eve are standing there and Eve looks upon the fruit and says, this looks good and it's desirable to eat. So she takes and eat and she gives to her husband who is with her, by the way, who was sitting back the whole time with his mouth closed while the enemy is attacking his family. And the only thing he can do with his mouth is eat of a forbidden fruit. Whose sin is worse there? Adam's. Why? Because when God created, He said, Adam, I'll be over you and you'll be over your household. That's not some, uh, you know, antiquated version of husband, you are ruler. Husband, you are the greatest servant in your home. That's what you've been called to be. The greatest servant to serve your household. To submit yourself to God. And Abraham does the same thing Adam does. Absolutely nothing and just goes along with the plan. Now, who's responsible for that when they stand before God? Abraham will be responsible when he stood before God for not preventing this from taking place in his family. But there is plenty of blame to go around. We look at verse uh, 4. In verse 4, we see kind of the second problem in this situation. Abraham goes in, sleeps with Hagar, and now she becomes pregnant. Now we have a second problem. The first problem is Abraham doesn't have a son with Sarah. The second problem is Abraham's about to have a son with Hagar. Can you imagine the back and forth that must have took place? This is a dysfunctional family if there's ever been a dysfunctional family. Can, can you put yourself in Sarah's place for a moment when she thinks that this is a good idea? For, for whatever reason at the moment, this seems like the right plan to Sarah. Since I can't have a child, then Hagar can have one for us. And then Hagar gets pregnant and all of a sudden Sarah has changed her mind. All of a sudden Sarah realizes, I couldn't bring him a child, but she's brought forth a child. Hagar now, who at the beginning is an innocent bystander, amen? So like at the beginning, she just it's not like she's doing anything right or wrong. She's just doing what she's supposed to do. And the next thing she knows, now she's having a child by Abraham. When this takes place, now she looks to her lady, Sarah, with great contempt. Can you imagine the contempt that Hagar may have to think you've put me in this position? 
I'm your servant, but you've put me in this position to where now I'm pregnant with your husband's child. And every time Sarah looks at Hagar, she's reminded of the fact she couldn't bring forth a child or has not at this point brought forth a child. Verse 5 and 6, we see the solution to the second problem. Then Sarah, I said to Abraham, you're responsible for my suffering. Don't you love this? Listen, I'm not getting into the whole man versus woman thing, but I love this. This is classic, right? Hey, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my servant so that she can be a surrogate mother? Abraham does it, which is wrong. Uh, and now she comes and says, you're the one who's responsible for my suffering. Uh, Abraham, uh, man, he should have known saying yes to this plan is going to lead me to a place I don't want to be. And now Abraham finds himself between these two ladies, one who's carrying his child and one who is his wife, given to him by God. And they've made a mistake, and now they have to live with the consequences of that mistake. In fact, I would submit to you, this mistake carries uh, implications and consequences that most human uh, geography professors, teachers uh, would say there are only two lines of people in, uh, in the Middle Eastern world today. There are the descendants of Isaac and there are the descendants of Ishmael. If you're not aware of this, they don't like each other. So we see the problem in the Middle East being played out today, live television, because Sarah and Abraham got together and decided they knew a way that they could bring about God's plan in their own wisdom. What should the warning be? Here's the warning. Boy, there are some big consequences to pay if you are looking to bring about the right outcome, but you want to go about it the wrong way. This implication goes throughout every area and stream in our lives. The way that we lead our family, right? The way that we try to get ahead in our finances. You can't scheme your way to a good end. You can't go about things in a crooked way and when you get to the end say, yeah, but it was a good result. The second thing we see is this divine intervention by God. So we've seen a problem. They don't have a son. We've seen the solution. Abraham's going to have a son with their servant. We've seen the second problem. Now she's pregnant and they don't like each other. And so she flees. She's being mistreated, and she has contempt for Sarah, and so she flees. By the way, if she wouldn't have fleed, Sarah probably would have got there a little bit later and told her to get out. Because Abraham's just told Sarah, here's the solution to that second problem. Do whatever you want to with her. I wash my hands of it. I throw the towel in. I'm done dealing with it. She's your servant. Do what you want to with her. And then we see where God directly intervenes into the situation. The first is this. We see God speak to Hagar through his messenger. Don't you love how God asks rhetorical questions all throughout Scripture? Hey, Hagar, where are you coming from? Where are you going? As if the God doesn't already know where she's coming from and where she's going. I've been mistreated. I, I think most people could read this, and in fact, they would agree with Hagar. Hagar, you, you have been mistreated. You've been put in a place that no one really deserves to be put in. 
And we can even understand why you have contempt for Sarah. The angel doesn't let her off the hook. The angel says, go back, put yourself back in the situation. And this time, rather than looking upon her with contempt, submit to her who has authority in your life. Man, this is hard. Without the complications of the fact that she's carrying her husband's baby, big complication, regardless of the situation, when we find ourselves in a place where we've been mistreated, where we have uh, uh, of no fault of our own, have find ourselves in a place we don't want to be, and we decide we're just going the best way is just to leave. Now you can come up with whatever the scenario is. It could be a relationship in your life. It could be a job that you've been working at. There's a thousand different scenarios, but you find yourself in a position where you realize you've been mistreated, you don't want to be there anymore, you're not concerned what God's will is, you're just concerned with getting out of there. Anybody ever quit a job and then go home and start praying, God, was that the right thing to do? That The order's a little bit messed up there if that's what you do. Amen? The first thing you do is ask God, God, should I leave this job? It's a whole lot easier when God comes to you with the answer. But now Hagar's fled the situation. I can almost sense that when Hagar leaves, the burden of being around Sarah, the burden of having to be around Abraham, is almost immediately lifted when she... Anybody, you ever left a situation you're uncomfortable with where you've been carrying a burden and as soon as you hit the door, the burden is gone? I remember Sonia and I had just got married, and so before I got married, Timpkin had agreed to hire me on full-time. I'd worked there as college help for years. Here was the agreement, though. When you come back from your honeymoon, you start second shift. All right, it was a job. But then when I, I got back and Sarah were, uh, Sonia worked first and I worked second, doesn't leave much time if you're going to sleep any. All right? and, and my assumption is we needed to sleep. I came back, and it, it was a bad situation. I was newly married. I didn't see my wife in the morning because she was at work. I didn't see my wife in the afternoon because I was at work. I went in every single day. It was awful. Anybody ever just feel like, man, I, w- I would work all day. I'd come home, and when I went to sleep, I would dream about work. I mean, literally, I would dream that I did my job all night in my dream. I would wake up tired. Because I had just put in 16 hours, eight there on the job, and eight while I was sleeping. And I can't remember walking in. I, I, here's what I, I didn't ask God about it. I walked in and decided, man, I'm out of here. This is crazy. I went to my boss, man. I said, look, how long do you want me to work a notice? He said, you can go home right now. I said, then I'm out of here. I went home right then. Now, here I am now, freshly married, without a job. But as soon as I walked out of the plan, I just want you to know there was a burden lifted off me. I was like, man, these second shifts, that, that's for somebody else. Yeah, we need the money, but that's something we can worry about later. I can just imagine Hagar leaving the situation where, can you imagine you can't even walk in any room or through a house without seeing either the guy who now you're carrying his baby or his wife who is now so jealous of the fact that she blames her husband for what she asked him to do. And this is what God comes to her with. Just, just stay with me for a second. Here's what God comes back with. 
Go back. That, that might be bad enough in and of itself, right? Go back. God may have said that to me, but Timpion wouldn't let me come back anyway. So, I mean, I didn't have to worry about that problem. But, but can you imagine? Go back to the situation that is so stressful and hurtful and, and where you feel like there is no way out. Go back. And then there's even an addendum to that. There's more. The servant of the Lord adds on to that and submit to her authority over you. Now this is like adding insult to injury, right? God, you not only want me to go back into the situation that is so stressful and hurtful, but you want me to go back and submit to this lady who has caused this to come about in my life. None of my own accord. I would just suggest to you that most of the time when God calls us and asks us or tells us to do things, those things that God calls and tells us to do are not easy. But God's much more concerned with your holiness than He is your happiness. Make sure you hear this. This isn't a bad thing. But God's much more concerned about you being holy than He is you being happy. God is doing a work in you. He is working out this work in you. And none of the suffering you go through is ever wasted. God uses every millisecond of your suffering to produce something in you, right? Uh, scripture calls us a, a peculiar weight of glory that God's working out in our life. This, that God's doing something within us that is eternal, that's not temporary. And sometimes God will allow us to be in situations temporarily to bring about something that has eternal value. So you have to ask yourself this morning, as someone who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, am I willing to go back and submit to whatever it is God's called me to go back and submit to, understanding that it's temporary, but it's working out something that's eternal in my life? There are times when we have to stay places we don't want to be anymore. And if God's told you to stay, He's working something out in your life. He's doing something in your life. God's not just an angry God who wants to put you in a bad situation where it's tough to stay, where it's hard to be around the circumstances and the people, but God's more concerned about working out holiness in your life than He is happiness in your life. Eternal happiness is much better than temporary happiness. Then we see Hagar's response. Though the Bible doesn't say that she said yes with great joy, the Bible says this, she went back and bore Abram a son. She went back and did what God called her to do. Now listen, God doesn't forget about Hagar. And a point that I think I have up at, at some point, I, I just I talk about the reminder of leftovers. Because in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael, all of a sudden in just, just a few verses, right? Just just a little bit, Isaac is gonna be born. And Hagar and Ishmael are kind of going to be gone, never to be heard from again in the Word of God. But here's what God assures us, is that there are no leftovers or nobodies in this world when it comes to God. Because God takes Hagar and says, you need to go back and you need to submit, knowing 
that there will come a point where she's going to have to separate from the family. But this is God's promise to her. You, your descendants, will be without number. They'll be a great nation. Your son's going to be crazy. His people are going to be wild. And he's not going to be able to live at peace with those people who live around them. And they won't be able to live at peace with him. But I will make you a great nation. I won't forget about you. Everybody is somebody to God. And there is nobody that is a nobody when it comes to God. El Roi, God sees me. God sees you. In your struggles, in your pains, in your hardships, God sees what you're going through. And God cares. So how do we walk by faith? How do we look at this particular passage of Scriptures in Genesis and and apply it to our lives? Let me just give you a couple things as I close. As we look at learning from all sides, listen, there, there should be a warning of impatience. Christian, do not become impatient with God. God's working it out. God's producing what He promised He would produce. God's doing something great in your life. Just hold on. Hold the course. Stay faithful. Trust God. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. What He promised, He's still doing. Impatience is not a wonderful characteristic if you're a Christian. But patience, it works something out in our life, right? Patience is doing a work in our life. It's it's a perfecting work to make us more like our Savior who suffered and died and bled for our sinfulness. There's a promise about God's sovereignty. God is sovereign and in control. There is not a single moment of human history that has ever been or ever will be where God has not been in absolute control of every moment. You may look around the world and you may see moments of chaos throughout our past. You may see chaotic things going on in our present. And and you may wonder about things that are going to go on in our future. But let me just give you this assurance. God is in control of the past, the present, and the future. Not one thing happens without God allowing it to do so. We might not understand it. We might not fully grasp it. We haven't been called to understand all that God does. We haven't even been called to understand God because He is infinite and we are finite. But make no mistake about it, He is sovereign. He is in control. And say it one more time. You need to hear this. God is sovereign and God is in control. I don't care what virus is going around. God is sovereign and God is in control. Don't put your faith and trust in man. Put your faith and your trust in God. He's sovereign and He's in control. Everyone needs to do their civic duty and vote. But at the end of our time of voting, there will be people who win offices and people who lose offices. And I don't know what in the world that's going to look like, but here's what I can tell you. God will be in control come November the 4th, just the way He was on November the 3rd. 
I believe it's a Christian duty, if you are an American Christian, to vote. If you're not going to vote, don't complain about elections. If you're not going to vote, don't complain about who's in office. Vote and still don't complain. Nobody wants to hear your complaints anyway. But God's in control. God's sovereign. Whatever happens in November, God is still God. And He's still in control. And then remember this. There's nobody that's too far gone for God. There's nobody that is too small for God. Everybody is somebody. God. So how do we do this? Be willing to wait. Be willing to wait for the good things you know God's promised in your life. There is no shortcut to an intimate walk with Jesus Christ. It takes time. It takes years. It takes experiences, good and bad. But all the while, He's working it out in our life. Be willing to wait. Have your ultimate concern in this life to be about God's glory. Every single situation, what we desire is for God to be glorified in our life. We prefer to not have to go through tragedies. Amen? I gave you a chance. Maybe some of you like tragedies. We prefer not to face hardship. We prefer not to have to be taken to the very bottom and to our lowest so that God might be able to teach us. We, We desire to be teachable even in the good things of this life, even when everything is going well in this life. But whether it's going well or whether we're in the midst of a struggle and a battle, live your life so that it brings glory to God. And friend, you obey God's word. And this is what I can promise you. You will have peace and you will have joy even in a world that's as chaotic as ours. It won't always be perfect. It won't always be great. It won't always be easy. But you can still take great comfort and have joy and peace. Not as the world understands it, but as God gives it, and that is even beyond our own understanding. So whatever you face today, whatever you're facing tomorrow, or whatever you've just come out of, wait on God. Trust His Word. And He'll give you peace and joy that passes even your own understanding. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to look at your word, to study it. I pray you now speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray we take a moment as uh, Sonia, she just comes and plays. Lord, whatever it is you lay on her heart. We take this time to give everyone an opportunity to do business with you. So whether it's just sitting at, at the pew right where they're at, that they would just spend some time praying and talking to you, Lord. Others may want to come down to the front of the church and to kneel and do business with you. Lord, whatever it is you would have us to do, speak to our hearts and minds today. Maybe there's someone here today, they absolutely do not know you as the Lord and Savior of their life. 
They don't have a relationship with you. They don't even come close to understanding peace and joy in the midst of chaos. They don't, they don't have the assurance that God is really in control of everything and sovereign over all things. And so today, if you so choose to open their eyes and their hearts to see that they need Jesus desperately, then I pray today would be the day they would come forward and give their life to you completely as you've already begun a changing work in their hearts and lives. So Lord, whatever we need to do, we take this time, we dedicate this time to spending it with you. And we ask in the precious, holy, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.